Welcome back to My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. I'm your host, Todd Wilcox, and this show is brought to us by the Eastern Utah History and Tourism Association. Go see Darren. Go see Sue Ann. And maybe even talk to their ghost while you're down there. Uh, downtown Price, you'll have fun when you go see them. Today, we've got a young man named Alfonso Cola Suono. I have been practicing that. I hope I'm saying it right. Uh, he has written a book. It's called The Book of the Magical Mythical Unicorn. I'm very interested in talking to him and finding out um, what we need to know about unicorns. So stand by. It's not cartoon unicorns. It's actual unicorns. Stand by. We're going to have some fun uh, with Alfonso talking about his book. You can go see what he's what kind of work he does if you go to www.theunicornbook.com. Stick with us. We'll be right back with My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. I'm your host, Todd Wilcox, and we've got a gentleman here today. We're going to talk about his book, The Book of the Magical Mythical Unicorn. His name is Alfonso Colasuono, and I have probably butchered it again, but <laughs> we're going to move forward. Alfonso, welcome to My Side of the Universe. Hey, Todd, it's great to be here, and you got that name right, so I, that, that is a, that's a big accomplishment in and of itself out there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm uh, terrified. I, I hope I continue for the rest of this conversation to, to get it right. Names are important to me, and, and uh, I think I've, I've set myself up to be weird, so um, we're going to do our best and uh, <laughs> see where this gets us. So you wrote a book about unicorns. Um, what... What led you to that? Why, why unicorns? What, what happened? You know, um, what I do as a writer is I just look for three different factors. Uh, the first factor is, is the topic interesting? And I thought, I've always been interested in the supernatural and the paranormal, but I really had unicorns as a blank spot in my uh, knowledge base. So that was a, a great appeal. The other is if I'm working with uh, other individuals, as I, as I worked with my deceased co-author, Vakasha Brendan, I want to make sure that they have uh, skin in the game and they're willing to uh, you know, put the work in. And Vakasha was a workhorse. Um, so I love her work ethic and her drive to, uh, to make this project happen. Um, so that was another big factor. And the third is I, I want to write something that people want to read and, and who doesn't love to learn more about the unicorn. I mean, that's, that's a big draw for, for me, uh, being uh, on this project in the first place. So that was kind of the reasons uh, that stirred me onto it. But how I met Makash, it was kind of a weird story. Um, I had been um, in a relationship, and uh, my girlfriend at the time recommended I go see an energy healer, and I had never done anything of the sort. I kept an open mind, but I didn't really know what to expect. And lo and behold, it actually worked uh, to uh, help this ailment I had. And, um, you know, I kept in touch with this energy healer whenever I needed a tune-up. And um, even after, long after uh, me and that lady broke up, the, uh, the energy healer knew I was looking for a project as a writer. And um, she knew that Picasso was looking for a writer to work with to birth her vision. And she kind of hooked us up together, and um, I went over to Makasha's apartment. She 
was just an awesome lady, and the project sounded great. And, uh, you know, we agreed to work together, and that's kind of the story right there. That's fantastic. So what what kind of energy healing was that? Was it like Reiki or some other form? What what did they use? Um, well, the uh, energy healer, and her name is Stephanie Erdang, so if anyone um, heads out to New York City, I really recommend giving her a try. Uh, what she does is a form of Tibetan energy healing. And um, I had never, again, I never had anything of the sort, so I didn't know what to expect. Um, I was having, like, minor issues with um, vision. And um, when I went over to her, you know, the first hour was kind of like a talk uh, session, you know, just, just discussing stuff and, and what's going on in your life and, and in this issue that, that brought you there. But the last half hour, she asked me to kind of lay down on this mattress and close my eyes. And I know that sounds a little weird, but as I did that and just kind of trusted the process, um, I don't know how she did it. I never, I guess it's kind of bad form to ask, but it felt like there was a, an energetic snake slithering up and down my side as she was doing um, the healing. And, uh, you know, just having, you know, too many supernatural kind of occurrences in my life uh, at the time, it, it was just really interesting, just, uh, you know, the physical sensation of it. And I know it's not, it's not about just pure sensation and just, uh, you know, thrill-seeking. It was about feeling. Yeah, so I, I had this feeling of an energetic snake coming up and down my side. And I've never had any sort of experience of the sort. And I think it's kind of, I guess, bad form to, to really ask what was going on. And it's not really about the sensation of it. But it, it, it was just a really interesting, unique experience. And... Um, yeah, I'd really recommend people give energy healing a try um, if they have an ailment and, and they want to kind of see um, if it works for them. It certainly worked for me. Yeah. Yeah, there is a lot of things out there that we don't understand yet. And, you know, we're so focused on chemical treatment in the United States that we have we have not really experimented or looked into all the different things that could also work for people and energy healing is definitely one of them. And, um, you know, it's funny that we, that we're okay with all the, all the drugs that get prescribed, even though there's massive side effects, but I have not heard of any side effects with energy healing. So, you know, I'm not really sure why we don't do more of that type of thing. Um, you know, experiment more with it and, and check it out. I would, I I like going to hypnotherapy to NLP to different energy work. It it tends to work really well for me, and I'm glad it worked well for you. Yeah, that's been my experience too. Um, and you know, I, I think if you have a serious issue, um, I wouldn't recommend someone if they have uh, stage four cancer to just to just work with energy healing or um, you know diet and exercise or other alternative modalities or just just general good uh, health practices, but I, I would recommend to work in combination. But if you have minor challenges like I did, or if you're healthy and you just want to stay that way, I really don't think you should go to the most intensive treatments uh, possible. I think that's, I think we have it a little backwards here in our society in that respect. Yes. Yeah, and, and I agree with you about the doctor stuff. There's definitely, I didn't want to make it sound like I wasn't a fan of doctors, especially like if you're in trauma, 
man, it's good to have a doctor around. And, uh, oh, you know, like you said, with the cancer and that, to have to have those other things. But, to, you know, I don't see a bit of problem doing the extra, like you said, maybe getting some energy healing and, and eating right and, and that to go along with what you're doing with your doctor. Yeah, I totally agree right there. All right. So unicorns. Um, I've there, there's certain things that I've always wondered, you know, where they came from, what the purpose was, why we don't have access to them anymore. Unicorns certainly fit into that. And like you said, so many people have an interest in unicorns. Um, so I, I don't know if, if we want to just start talking about the book now or um, sure. <laughs> if you just want to just want to tell us about unicorns. You decide. Maybe maybe just tell us what's going on with the book and we'll see where we're going at that point. Yeah. So what Akasha and I really wanted to do uh, is kind of create a book. And I think we accomplished this uh, that really kind of gives a little bit of everything to people who are interested in unicorn. There are people who maybe have a more skeptical mind and, and want to see all the facts. We have that there. There are people who have children who really love the unicorn and, and love the imagery and mythology associated with it, and they just want some stories to tell their children at night. Uh, we have some great kind of stories weaved into the book. And then we have people who are interested in the more esoteric significance of the unicorn, and we get into that in some of the later chapters uh, of the book as well. So we kind of tried to be a little bit of something for everyone and, and almost be an anthology of the unicorn. Now, as to uh, you know, one of your first questions right there about the origin of the unicorn, um, we found two different stories uh, that, that kind of trace the unicorn back to its origin point, um, what I'd call the Western and the Eastern um, you know, mythologies of it. In, in the East, uh, particularly out of China, their creation myth uh, starts with um, a creator god called Pangu. And this Pangu worked with the unicorn as well as four other auspicious creatures, uh, the dragon, the phoenix, and uh, the tortoise, to work to create our reality, our universe, uh, just everything. Um, so the unicorn in, in the Chinese mythology, where it's known as the Qilin, has been with us since the beginning of time. Very similarly in the West, you know, we also trace the unicorn back to at least the origin of humanity. Um, we found this uh, resource um, called the Codex Unicornis. It's an uh, ancient Gnostic document. And it, it talks about how the unicorn was with the first man and woman in the Edenic paradise. And the reason why we don't see unicorns, you know, like we would, you know, we don't see unicorns at zoos or, you know, when we're out at Crozer National Park or something in South Africa. And the reason is because they're interdimensional creatures uh, in the sense that, and, and according to this Western creation myth, the unicorn was given a choice to stay only in that higher, pure dimension, that identic paradise. But after, you know, the fall of man, um, and we went to a lower vibration, a lower density, uh, you know, our current existence, basically, for all of modern civilization, um, the unicorn was given a choice by the creator to either stay in that higher dimension or it could kind of come back in at will. And that's why there's been stories in all different cultures of the unicorn coming sporadically, uh, you know, to, to people's aid or in other ways, um, you know, very intermittently. Uh, it's because the unicorn can come in when needed 
And it, it's such a friend of humanity that it comes in when needed, when there's a real purpose, when it can be of use. And if there's really no purpose, I mean, that's why, like, the last 200 years, there haven't really not, there really haven't been too many, um, you know, verified um, reports of people seeing unicorns. I guess because it, it doesn't seem like it's uh, needed right now, although I do think that will change in the near future. So, Alfonso, when, when people do see the unicorns, are they are they reported to be flying, or are they reported to be on the ground, or both, or how how do t- people typically see them? You know, in most of the resources uh, that we found of uh, documented reports of the unicorn, I've never seen any report. Uh, you know, and we we found um, you know instances where Genghis Khan and Alexander the Great um, and many other historical figures, the Buddha's mother, um, they all had encounters with the unicorn. The only one where the unicorn was flying actually goes to a story about Alexander the Great, the, the excellent uh, Macedonian Greek military and political leader. Um, and it's interesting that it doesn't come from the Eastern European Greek kind of uh, stories about Alexander. It comes from the Persian mythology about Alexander, where he's known as Ishkandar. And in this Persian um, you know, retelling about Alexander or Ishkandar, uh, they do say that his unicorn helped him fly up to the heavens, but the creator or, or God just kind of uh, stopped him from going further, um, you know, into into the heavens. Um, so that is the only instance we found of a unicorn that that flied. Um, that doesn't mean that there weren't others, but since the uh, the evidence, I mean, it's amazing just how much evidence we were able to find for the book of the magical mythical unicorn, given that. Um, Almost everything that we found is, is prior to the last 200 years. And if you think about how little remains of recorded history or artifacts, it's incredible that we were able to find so many um, individuals and instances and, and things in the historical and archaeological record uh, tracing to the unicorn's presence here on, on Earth. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's pretty incredible uh, what does remain. Yeah, for sure. So, um, but to back this up just a little farther, since since there hasn't been a lot of um, records of them flying, I assumed what, when we said unicorn, what I'm picturing is a horse with with the with the horn coming out the front, and then wings. Is that incorrect, or are the wings typically a part of it? You know, um, I don't really have many instances in in, in the uh, exhaustive research that we uh, found on the unicorn, I don't recall one instance uh, from the reputable sources that we used to create this book where wings were attached to the unicorn. Wow. Uh, as you said, uh, otherwise, uh, your depiction is completely accurate. It is. It does look like a horse, and it does have the one horn, but um, wings are not really uh, associated in any of the research that we found. Okay. Um, one thing that's actually pretty similar, and we didn't include this in the book because we can't really verify 100% that it is a unicorn, but in um, the Islamic tradition, there is a creature called the Barak, and I could be mispronouncing it, B-U-R-A-Q, that um, transported Muhammad into, uh, you know, uh, different dimensions or different heavens. And, um, and it does resemble a unicorn, except it doesn't have, it, it, no source mentions it as having just the one horn. So I don't know if, that's the unicorn. We can't really say it with certainty, so we didn't include it. But that winged creature, or other winged creatures like the Pegasus, 
Um, you know, a lot of times they get conflated, but as far as I know from my um, research, I, I do think they're, they're separate creatures. Okay. I And that was, I thought they were the same thing, and I'm guessing some of our listeners may have as well. Um, thank you for getting that clear for us. Alfonso, we need to break away for a minute, but we'll be back with more of My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. Welcome back to My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. I'm your host, Todd Wilcox, and we have a nice young man named Alfonso Cola Suono. Did I get it, Alfonso? Am I, am I getting it? it? We got it two times Woo! in a row. Right there, All right. So very good. <laughs> I am going to put a star right in the middle of my forehead. And uh, Absolutely. He, he wrote a book called The, Ma- the Book of the Magical Unicorn. And we're going to chat about that book over the next 45 minutes. And one of the things you said in the last segment, Alfonso, that, that kind of hit me was um, talking about the kids um, being very interested in in the unicorn. And one of the things we know from this show, talking to various authors and people that have seen things where it almost doesn't matter what it is, whether it's, it's ghosts, um, aliens, Bigfoot, things like that. Kids tend to see it easier than adults. Um, and one of the theories is, is that they're still closer to the veil um, still still aligned with the veil from when they were born, and they can see the other side better. And and that kind of leads me into the whole interdimensional thing that you were talking about. Is is there something going on where kids not only seem more interested, but seem more um, able to see and interact with a unicorn? You know, that's a, that's a great question. And I'm, I'm pretty much in agreement with you uh, over there in terms of your thoughts. Um, I would just add uh, one thing is I think our society has embraced a, uh, you know, um, scientific materialism. And I, I don't want people to, uh, you know, mistake this. Um, I do think science has had some incredible breakthroughs for us and continues to do so and will continue to do so. But I do think that, um, you know, people sort of think that everything that can be measured or seen with the five, uh, or perceived with the five senses is the limit of, of where we are. And I think this gets indoctrinated in, in people in the school system um, and uh, just pretty much every segment of society, uh, including in many um, you know religious traditions, all of which are supernatural in, in and of themselves, uh, you know, even, even if the presentation isn't always uh, you know, created in such a sense. And so I think that children are just, uh, they're just less programmed than um, anyone by the time they reach teenage years, certainly into adulthood. And because they're less programmed, they're, they do have an easier time uh, of perceiving things, whether it's unicorns, ghosts, um, just about any sort of um, thing. And this kind of aligns with uh, my co-author's experiences as a young girl. Um, she grew up in North Carolina on a farm. And um, when she was young, she was always kind of like the rebel in her family. They were a really nice family, but not, not exactly out there, shall we say. Uh-huh. And, um, and she would go out on the farm, and she would see the unicorn as a seven-year-old girl, uh, you know, just as clear, clear as day. And, um, and she had always had that kind of experience with the unicorn and carried in with her into adulthood. But she didn't see it in the same physical way as she grew up as she, you know, went into 
you know, in her twenties in in business and, and, and PR and then into uh, you know working off Broadway on plays and, and with her art career. You know, I think the the mundane uh, you know career and, and family and, and all the things that are associated with adulthood, which are great. You know, it, it starts to you just don't have that same childlike innocence to perceive things as easily. Um, of course, there are many adults who have seen unicorns, have seen, um, you know, ghosts. I just think it's easier if you're a child because that programming hasn't, you know, indoctrinated you. And I do believe that, you know, whatever you hold to be true, um, it does affect what you can perceive and, and how reality will shape itself around you, uh, you know, to a greater or lesser extent. Yeah, absolutely. Very well said, Alfonso. Very well said. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> you talked about Genghis Khan, and in my notes, I, mm -hmm. I I have that also Confucius was mentioned as as having appearance with with the unicorn. And I would say there might not be very many people ever that's kind of as no nonsense as Genghis Khan. Um, yes. And for him to see it there, I'm and to talk about it, there there was most likely something going on. What was his interaction with, with the uh, unicorn? Yeah, I mean, that was definitely the most surprising, um, you know, thing. Because, um, you know, when you think about a unicorn, you think of people, um, you know, associated with love and light and things like that. And I, I don't think it'd be fair to say that <laughs> as, as a descriptor of Genghis Khan, uh, you know, his empire just stretched all across Europe and Asia, and, you know, to, you know, you know just, just, conquering and subjugating people. I mean, I wouldn't call him a good man. Um, but it's interesting that in as vast a territory as he controlled during the height of that Mongol Empire, um, Genghis Khan, there's one land, you know, just anyone looking at a map of, of his empire would be surprised at one land that was not conquered by Khan, and that was India. And the story that we found from multiple sources that we, we go into in further detail in the book of the Magical Mythical Unicorn is that Genghis Khan was leading his army at the uh, foot of Mount Jadanari, basically crossing into the Himalayas, crossing Himalayas into um, India. And um, when he was there, and they were poised to uh, you know, start invading India, and I don't see any reason why India would not fall to Khan, considering all of the different cultures and peoples, um, the Chinese, the Russians, um, you know, uh, Mesopotamian civilizations, Baghdad, and others, that all fell to Genghis Khan, India would certainly fall two and two. But in our sources, we found out that the unicorn actually appeared to Genghis Khan and kind of bowed submissively to Genghis Khan as a, as a gesture of respect. And Genghis Khan took that unicorn's appearance as a sign from his deceased father, basically, do not go into India. It wouldn't go well for you. And so the way Genghis Khan perceived that appearance of the unicorn, it, it's basically that, you know, I shouldn't do this, and the unicorn is a sign of goodwill for my father, just basically saying, you know, you're fine if you go into towards Iraq or Russia or other lands, but just don't go here. This will not end well for you. And, yeah, I was surprised to see that. And Genghis Khan heeded that warning um, and and never, you know, stepped foot in India for uh, conquering. Wow. And and what about Confucius? What what interaction did Confucius have with the unicorn? 
um, many. I, I think, you know, it, it's probably the, the, the highest or one of the most, um, you know, in-depth encounters with the unicorn of any historical figure that we found. It even starts before his birth. Um, we found a story in multiple sources of Genghis Khan, uh, I'm sorry, um, Confucius's mother, um, had an appearance from the unicorn before he was even born. And then after, um, when he was about to die, the unicorn appeared to him again. And, um, and it, it really ties in with a lot of um, Chinese beliefs about the unicorn. In China, there's, there's a, they basically believe, and in the different instances that we go into in the book of the Magical Mythical Unicorn, it almost always kind of fits this pattern that the unicorn will appear in three different instances. One is at the birth of a great leader, like Confucius, uh, like the, when the unicorn appeared to Confucius's mother. Uh, at the death of a great leader, when the unicorn appeared to Confucius himself uh, a few weeks before he died. Or when, as just as a sign that um, Chinese political leaders are ruling the people justly. And uh, it must have incredibly high standards because that it's only appeared, I think, maybe about six times um, that we found in Chinese history uh, of a 5,000-year civilization. So it has impeccably high standards, that's for sure. But yeah, those, that, those were some of the instances of how it appeared to uh, Confucius. And you, you talked about it being an interdimensional being. My belief, and many people that have been on this show also believe that um, Bigfoot and possibly, mm-hmm. probably aliens are as well. Is there um, stories of the unicorns interacting with either of those or maybe even both, um, anything like that? You know, um, in all of the uh, research that we did, um, that, we, that we created and, and, and presented in a way that's easy to digest for just about any reader, um, we didn't see the unicorn interacting with any other cryptids. Um, you know, that, that might be something, there is a project that I might do in the future. I've been uh, approached, uh, to potentially work on a book about the, uh, Skinwalker Ranch right there in Utah, ah. um, where there's a lot of, a lot of, um, UFO and, and, and other cryptid kind of activities over there that, uh, me and, um, potentially if we, if we go together, me and this, uh, co-author would, would work on, um, maybe we'd find, uh, instances of unicorns, uh, uh, interacting there with uh, some of the cryptids, but um, from from what I've seen right there, from the exhaustive research that we've done, unfortunately, I didn't see any instances where the unicorn was interacting with anyone other than humanity. Okay. Uh, or any uh, any species other than humanity. And I think it goes back to the unicorn having that special affinity for humanity in the Western tradition, uh, where it was with us in the Edenic paradise. Yeah. Um, so while it could, I'm sure, interact with these. Uh, I don't think it has, or at least not in anything that we found in the record. Yeah, that higher level placement uh, that you talked about that it stayed at, but but comes to visit us. Um, yes. Okay, so so I would guess that that the, you know Bigfoot, aliens, those kind of things are on the same, maybe not development level, but kind of on the same energy level, where the unicorn is typically looked at more as a, a higher being, a higher, um, you know, approaching angels type of a, of a being than, than us or, or other um, cryptids would be. Yeah, I think that's fair, fair to say. Okay, very good. And uh, 
what, you know, we've, we've got a few minutes left before break, but what do you think you would do if you had an interaction with a unicorn? If, you, if you're if you walking through the woods and, and you personally see a unicorn, how, how do you think you're going to respond and how do you think the unicorn would respond based on your um, research? You know, it's, it's odd to say, but I actually have had an experience uh, seeing a unicorn. And um, from the course of working with Akasha on this book, um, you know, she, she was uh, elderly and had a few different health conditions. So, and, and like me, she wasn't the greatest with technology. So it really required that we work together in her home in New York City. So I would come up from where I live here in Baltimore and uh, head over to New York and work with her for weeks at a time. And one of the first things she said once we agreed to work with each other is uh, people are known to have encounters with the unicorn uh, in my house. And I hadn't even delved into the research yet, and I was still pretty skeptical, to be honest, about the actual existence of a unicorn. And, um, you know, the first seven to ten days or so, it was normal, you know, it was just getting to know a new uh, you know, writing partner and, and, you know, working on the book and also just learning more about each other and, and bonding. But um, it was about, I went to bed around 10 at night, uh, fell asleep. And I woke up about three hours later, and the unicorn's horn, not the unicorn itself, but its horn, started materializing before my eyes. You know, I hadn't had, you know, a couple of drinks or been sleep-deprived or anything or, or dreaming. It started appearing to me, multicolored, spiraled unicorn horn, and then it dematerialized a few minutes later. And I went back to bed, and when I came downstairs the next day to tell Vakash about it, she just had a smile on her face because she was like, Basically, like, I told you so. And I haven't seen the unicorn since. Um, and I think it's just sort of like, because when the, uni the unicorn told Vakasha, because her last five years before she passed, was really in poor health, the unicorn said, you know, tell my story. And it was a mission that the unicorn gave specifically to her. And when she brought me on, I think the unicorn just wanted to reveal itself to, to me just so to make sure that, you know, I could give it my full 100%. And if I were still skeptical about it, I don't know if I could. Yeah. So I think that's why it happened right there. And I was totally calm in, in the presence. It was a wonderful presence. Um, yeah, it was just a wonderful feeling just seeing it materialize before me. That's amazing. It was multicolored. Um, was there yes. any kind of glow to it, anything like that? Yeah, it was a, it was a glow. It was multicolored. And it, it was slowly kind of materializing before my eyes. It was about maybe three four minutes. And then it... it you know, started by dematerializing as soon as it appeared, or, you know, slow, as, as, as uh, you know, slowly as it did appear. And, um, you know, I, it was just such a peaceful feeling. What I knew was just a, a wonderful, pure energy, and there was nothing to fear, nothing to concern myself with in terms of, uh, you know, any danger to me or Akasha. And, yeah, it was just a wonderful feeling, um, kind of a validation, really, that, you know, yes, you're equipped to, to write about the unicorn and all, bestow my presence, you know, to you. Wow. That is amazing. I, I love hearing that. I did not expect that, Alfonso. Um, thank you. That was, uh, that was wonderful. We, uh, we do need to break away for just a minute, but we're going to be back talking to Alfonso, learning more about his book, the, the Book of the Magical Mythical Unicorn, on my side of the universe, on KOAL, 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM.
Welcome back to My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. I'm your host, Todd Wilcox, and we have a fine young man with us this- uh, with us, us with us today, Alfonso Colasuono. He has written a book, The Book of the Magical Unicorn, and you you about have another book while we were on break coming out that you worked with a local Utah author. Um, would you mind telling us a little bit about that, Alfonso? Sure, yeah. I mean, I just feel incredibly fortunate at the uh, wonderful opportunities that have come my way. Um, I worked with uh, Park City author uh, Pete Zaccanino, who some, some of your listeners may know him from Marino Air Races, where he's uh, been a four-time champion, um, one of the fastest recorded, actually the fastest recorded uh, pilot at a speed of 529 miles per hour. Mm. And Pete's, just like Fakashi, just an incredibly cool person and great person to work with. We worked together. Um, I was working with him as his development developmental editor on a book called Relevant, which is a spy thriller that kind of um, delves into a lot of the situation in the 2000s in the Middle East and North Africa with responding to um, terrorism in in more clandestine ways. And we're working on a sequel to that book um, called Relevant 2 that should be out sometime late May. Um, This book goes in a little bit more of a different direction where it works with the same kind of protagonist, a young man named Chris Hodge, as he's tasked to prevent uh, Russia from creating a powerful, advanced quantum computer. And, uh, you know, who knows what they could do with that. And, uh, you know, the whole story kind of um, follows this young man as he he has to assemble a team to go into Russia and potentially try to uh, counteract the quantum computer there. And for me, just being interested in things that are a little bit outside of, um, you know, the norm, it was a really cool, uh, when Pete kind of rep, you know, said, you know, this is kind of what we want to do here with the second book, I was just really excited because I'm really fascinated with the topic of quantum computing as a whole and just um, you know, the good or potentially malicious purposes um, that it could be used for and just the whole nature of what could be uncovered um, you know, for good or ill as uh, quantum computers become a reality here in the next decade or two or three. So, so when we talk about quantum computers, are we, are we moving into the um, artificial intelligence area? Are we moving into something that's just computing so fast that we don't understand it? What's the difference between a normal computer and a quantum computer? Well, uh, one of the, the biggest ways that, that's different is the sheer processing power that's different. You know, that's just so much more advanced from a quantum computer as compared to even the most powerful supercomputers that we have today. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a mundane concern, but um, if quantum computers kind of, um, you know, reach a certain level of power and we're not prepared to, um, you know, safely protect things, essentially all banking assets, uh, just about any asset could be hacked by a quantum computer. Because what it does or what it could do is essentially run every possibility in a matter of seconds. So if you think you have a, a safe password to your email account or something, someone really has it in for you and they're using a quantum computer, there's no way you know, they couldn't bust your password. They'll just run every possibility. You could have symbols and lowercase and uppercase and numbers, and it could be 20 characters. Still, a super, uh, quantum computer could, could crack that. And so that's one of the um, things that governments and um, you know, maybe mainstream media are covering with quantum computers. But um, you know, just the... the, the uh, 
you know, we don't go into this in relevant too, but just on my own personal research, I find it fascinating um, some of the studies that have been done where simulations have been run of moving backwards in time and, and what that says about, you know, how we generally view time as, a, as linear and moving only in one direction. Well, the quantum computer has already proved that time can run backwards too. And, um, you know, as a kid, just like any other uh, Reagan baby, you know, I love Back to the Future movies. You know, I'm not going to, I'm certainly not a, a scientist, uh, but I, I do think, you know, maybe even in our lifetimes, we might see, at least on a, a small scale, some, t some time travel through quantum computers and through artificial intelligence. Because if you think about some of the, uh, the brightest minds in human history, your, your Albert Einsteins and so on, um, you know, just the, the power, the sheer intelligence of a quantum computer or artificial intelligence compared to the brightest minds in history, you know, it, it, it makes you, it makes the brightest minds like Einstein look like blithering idiots. And um, so it's going to be, it's going to be exciting to see what happens. I just hope that as we approach the singularity and, and quantum computers and AI become mainstreamed, that it doesn't uh, end up misused. And, uh, you know, we explore some of those topics in relevant too. And I hope that uh, readers who are interested in quantum computers or uh, future, or just enjoy a good old-fashioned spy thriller, will check that out when it comes out. Yeah, it sounds it sounds absolutely fascinating. And you know, when you were talking about moving backwards in time, uh, it, mm -hmm. it reminded me of of a topic that I love called retro causality. Are you familiar with yes. that at all? Um, yeah, I mean, um, I. I uh, you know, to be honest, I spend a lot of nights on the uh, retcon board on Reddit, just just uh, as a lurker, just browsing through what people uh, are talking about it and, and differences in terms of um, you know how you remember things. I mean, I think unless I'm misunderstanding, I kind of uh, I hear it often referred to as the Mandela effect in terms of things um, you know being misremembered apparently. Uh, you know, like like the famous line in Forrest Gump being, um, you know, life is like a box of chocolates. But now if you go to any uh, presentation in, in of, of that, it's actually life was like a box of chocolates. And I find that strange to see wow. how things that just about, you know, Matt, uh, a majority remember one way, and it's actually um, a different way. Yeah. Now, if, I, if I misunderstood the concept, uh, I'm sorry, but no. yeah. No, you, and it, and they, they, it, it probably is. I, I haven't looked at it that way. Um, the sponsors of our show, the Eastern Utah History and Tourism Association, um, Darren, uh, talked about the Mandela effect on this show one time. And, and honestly, that was the first time I'd heard about it. And we started mm -hmm. looking at different things, you know, and how it had changed. When, when I think of retrocausality, um, one of the things I look at, there was an experiment about people with some blood um, ailments. I can't remember if it was a disease or what, but um, mm -hmm. the, the experimenters took, just randomly took the names from a hospital of, of people that, or maybe multiple hospitals of people that had this disease and split them in half, just randomly split them in half. And half those people were prayed for um, to recover and the other half weren't. So when I say pray, it, it can be, you know, we set intent for them to get better. They actually prayed. Mm -hmm. But I think just setting an intent and, and giving positive energy would do the same thing. And they found a statistical difference in the ones that were prayed for as far as how fast they recovered, how well they recovered um, mm -hmm. over the people that didn't. And this is stuff that happened like five to ten years before. 
And uh, so we, we talk about the moving backwards in time, and there seems to be ways that even, you know, as mundane as saying a prayer, setting a positive intent can make, can make those changes. Yeah, I'm not surprised to hear that. It, it kind of reminds me a little bit of a, a study I heard about, um, I think it was a study out of Japan, where um, water crystals were, um, you know, spoken positive intentions to and, and negative intentions. Yes. And, the, you know, it, it, when, when positivity was presented to it, the crystals would be beautiful and the formations would be beautiful. And when, you know, a, a negative energy is directed at it, you know, the converse would happen. And, uh, you know, this actually reminds me of a, a story that uh, Bakasha told me. Um, you know, it, I guess it doesn't, uh, it's a little bit embarrassing admitting this, but, um, when I was over at her house working on, on the book of the magical mythical unicorn, because she had mobility issues and uh, other things, she wouldn't be able to go out with me regularly. Um, so I was just going off doing an errand or something. Uh, and I was in a bad mood that day and it was really weird, but I had such a, I was just in such a bad state that. The negative energy, I think anyone could feel it. And as I was walking across the street, a person just fell into the street just at exactly as I crossed them. And I think, like, when I told her about that, she told me, you know, you, like everyone else, has, has an immense power. I so think you really want to use your energy effectively, uh, not just for yourself, but also for, you know, the entire world. I mean, do you want to create a better world where... Um, you know, positivity is there, or do you want to try to steer us in the wrong direction? I think just about anyone wants, for, both for themselves and their loved ones, but also for the world at large, a better reality. And so I think it just shows the importance of of, of what can be done and the power of what can be done, whether it's uh, prayer, if you have a specific uh, faith, or just positivity in general. I think it's important to really, you know, just, just check yourself and try to present it in the best possible way um, you know, just consistently, because good things will happen. People can recover from diseases in almost mystical ways uh, from prayer or other positive intentions. Wow, you said it so well. And yes, it was, I, I'm 90% sure that was a uh, somebody in Japan that did that experiment and, and just got absolutely beautiful, well-built, um, uh, sturdy uh, crystals where when he was yelling at it in a negative way, um, they were, it was almost like chaos. Um, they still froze, but they were a complete mess and, and easy to break. Um, yeah, I, I'd completely forgot about that. Um, thank you, Alfonso. Now, we uh, need to talk about your website for a second, www.theunicornbook.com. And can people order your book off that, or do they have to go somewhere else? Uh, there's a link right there on unicornbook.com to our Amazon page where people can order um, the print copy or the ebook copy. Uh, I really recommend just getting it in print because of uh, the visuals. I think it's just a cool thing to show uh, the 24 different uh, works of art that we have in the book of the Magical Mythical Unicorn. Uh, you know, the friends and, and others interested, you know, when you come over and visit your house. You know, fortunately, we're, we're moving beyond COVID-19, so people will be visiting people's houses more often unless you're shut in. Yes. So, um, yeah, I really recommend people get the uh, print copy, but the ebook's great too. And uh, you can order it uh, from Amazon by searching for the book of the magical mythical unicorn and typing either my last name 
or because my last name's pretty confusing, I'd recommend just typing in my <laughs> co-author's last name, Brendan, B-R-E-N-M-A-N, and you'll be able to find it and order it. And if you go to the website, theunicornbook.com, you'll see the contact form. So um, if you have any questions, anything that um, you know we haven't really addressed here today that are just kind of boggling your mind, or if you've read the book of the Magical Mythical Unicorn and there's things that you think we didn't really cover, um, feel free to send me a question right there. I do get any emails that come in from the contact form. Um, so yeah, I always love hearing from readers and, and, and listeners and just, um, you know, if, if you have questions about the unicorn, definitely you can, uh, you know, just write to me through the contact form on the site. Yeah, that is, that is amazing. And, um, I agree with you a hundred percent about having it in book form. And I know people love the Kindles and, and to read it on, on a tablet, you know, mm-hmm. but oh man, there's something about holding that book and the smell and, and I, I have my yes. own library at home and, and, uh, to sit, to sit in that room and, and, and feel the book, smell them or go, uh, there, there's not many places that I enjoy more than a used bookstore. Um, <laughs> there's just something magical about the way it feels and smells. So yes, I encourage him. I encourage everybody to, to go with books. I, I typically buy my family books, um, for presents and rarely a Kindle, but if there's something I want them to get quickly, um, sometimes we'll do it, you know, the electronic book, but yeah, I love, I love being able to hold a book and, and be a part of that whole experience. Yeah, I couldn't say it uh, better right there. I mean, just the, the, the tactile sensation of holding a book and, and reading it. And also, you just it's just more familiar with me. I mean, I think maybe people who are younger than 20 and under might have grown up with uh, the ebook uh, format. But, yeah, I don't know. It's just something about um, the physical copies that, you know, I just love. And I, I, I really always prefer that if possible yeah i'm i'm with you alfonso 100 percent. so unfortunately we're just about done but folks please go to his website www.theunicornbook.com and check out the book of the magical uh unic- i left the word out matt <laughs> <laughs> the book of the magical mythical unicorn in my notes i left out mythical so but go see it and i i can't wait to uh learn more about it. Uh, Alfonso, thank you for joining us on My Side of the Universe. Todd, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. We'll be back with more My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 750 AM. Welcome back to My Side of the Universe on KOAL, 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. I'm your host, Todd Wilcox, and as usual, I had so much fun with our guest. Uh, I wasn't sure where we were going to go with unicorns. Um, the nice part about this show is we don't do pre, pre-written pre questions. It just goes wherever it goes. I like it being organic. I like it to be a conversation, and that's certainly what we got with Alfonso today. Never when we started this uh interview today did I think we'd end up where we did and uh, we hit a lot of different things so uh, what a great uh, guest he was a lot of fun hope you all enjoyed it as much as I do and when I tell you that this is my favorite hour of the week and it's the fastest hour of my week I mean it a hundred percent and I I can't thank all of you enough for joining me every week on my side of the universe so keep up the good work keep supporting our sponsors the Eastern Utah History and Tourism Association they keep us on the air and um, 
tell them how, how much fun you have when you're, when you're listening. Uh, and I want you all to remember that you matter until you multiply yourself by the speed of light squared, then you energy. We'll see you next week on my side of the universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM.